Hi again, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Shop Notes podcast. I'm your host, Phil Huber, and I'm joined today, as always, by John Doyle and Logan Whitmer. This is episode 39, and today's topic is, if it's not wood, what is it? Uh, Just a reminder, today's episode of the Shop Notes podcast is brought to you by Inventables, a new CNC solution for your business. Make bigger projects faster with the X-Carve Pro. See it in action at xcarvepro.com. So the topic for today, our discussion topic, is incorporating materials that are not wood and not talking about pine. Or like when you're making cookies, you make cookies with no nuts. No, you make cookies with nuts. Right. Unless your children is allergic. Then you make it with nuts, and they just can't have any. (laughs) More for me. (laughs) More for me. All right. So, I mean, it's easy to think of woodworking as, you know, you're building projects out of solid wood, plywood, whatever. And the only non-wood aspect of it is hinges and knobs and maybe the occasional screws or nails or something like that. But uh, very quickly, it's pretty easy to get into incorporating other materials and still being able to call it woodworking, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I think it's pretty easy to start incorporating brass or aluminum, you know, the soft metals that can easily be cut with woodworking so you don't need any specialty um tools or blades to you know incorporate that kind of thing or even plastics for licks kind of thing so i think that's easy to to start there i guess if you want to do inlays or stuff like that yeah well and i think there's there's certain points of a project that dictate that material not be wood or it doesn't make sense you know one one of which is sitting next to me um this guy right so this is a a birdhouse we made on the tv show for season 14 that's starting to air right now right right across the u.s um where we made the, the the roof out of copper so if you guys are looking at this on youtube uh the roof is copper uh, and you know, I think it will just probably last a little bit longer having a metal roof rather than, you know, like a staved roof or, or something or wood shingles. Um, so I think that kind of makes sense. Uh, but I think there is, and maybe not in everyday woodworking, but I think there is areas where you can really start to play with and incorporate different materials that are not wood and you start to lean more towards the artistic side i think with some of these maybe um some of them are utility uh and where where this topic came from was last week we talked about me tearing my shop apart and starting to reorganize it i found some stuff that i purchased (laughs) a long time ago and I purchased it for a very specific reason. Uh, and two of the materials that I've wanted to work into a project for a long time. Uh, one, the, I'm probably going to offend some people because they are 
animal products. Okay. So this is not vegan or vegetarian woodworking. Okay. <laughs> the first is this guy. Okay. So this is a buffalo horn. Okay. I found this um, at a flea market for like two bucks. Okay. And I bought it because, I mean, it's thick. I don't know if you guys can tell. I mean, like over three-eighths or a half-inch of material, right? Uh, and traditionally, horn was used uh, for the tips of long bows or for recurve bows, right? So where the, the, the bowstring wraps around the tip of the limb, uh, it would be horn. Uh, it's strong. Uh, it doesn't cut into the string. Uh, and that's why I bought this. It was because for a long time I've been interested in making um, a couple bows. So I bought this guy. He's like, oh, hey, when else in the middle of Iowa am I going to find a buffalo horn in an antique store for $2? So so I bought it. Figure at some point I will bandsaw it apart into little uh, bow tip horns. Uh, so that's one of the materials I've wanted to work in. But I think you could also probably use this for an inlay, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, I think that would be kind of cool. Um, I've watched some of the stuff that uh, David Marks has been doing on Facebook. Um, he's been doing a, oh, it was a big turn piece. And David, David Marks does a lot of artistic stuff, right? It's it's not necessarily a piece of furniture more than it is a piece of art. So the one I was watching him or been following him doing recently was like a big turned hemisphere. Not, uh, it was a half a sphere, right? Um, a hemisphere. And he was doing an inlay with uh, Mother of Pearl, and it was like a uh, jellyfish. So it had these oh. really long flowing tentacles, and it was Mother of Pearl. It was very cool. And, you know, so I figured you could probably do something like this with it. It had to be, a little, obviously, this is pretty dark. So you'd have to do it in a light wood. But I thought it would be kind of fun. So I might have to play around with that a little bit. And then the other thing that I've wanted to incorporate, and I still haven't figured out how to do this without it looking tacky. Uh, <laughs> which, you know, I mean, it, let's be fair, you know, it wouldn't be the first time I've done something that looks tacky. <laughs> but, and this is where I might offend people. Uh, for a long time, I've always wanted, you know, we've, we've done, we've, incorporating leather is not new, right, into a project. A lot of times you'll see um, antique chairs that have leather wrapped arms or you know the upholstery is leather um sure. even even like a a desk you'll have a leather writing surface right and that's that's super cool it's a nice tactile soft feel rather than the hardwood um i wanted to incorporate fur in a project hmm. and i'm not sure where it would work um but it, it's something that interests me you know we've talked in the past about how i've been you know, the, the different variety of, of wood species is super interesting to me um, because they're each unique. You know, for a long time, I trapped during, you know, high school and college and even, you know, when we moved to Des Moines, I trapped. So, you know, I've, I've amassed a collection of some special furs that I have trapped and harvested and stuff, and that's all I'll say about it. Uh, but they're each unique. You know, they're, they're very different textures. They're very different colors uh i don't know i can't figure out how to work one of these into a project somewhere so maybe somebody will have some good idea on how one of these could be incorporated and not look tacky john's 
I, John has something to say. I know he does. I just look at his face. I know he has something to say. Maybe like a fur-lined box or something? Or yeah, I mean... <laughs> like all fur Yeah, I mean, and honestly, yeah. Like something like that. You know, beaver, uh, beaver fur, beaver pelts were used. Um, if, you, if you send out beaver pelts, you can have them like the guard hairs plucked out and then they'll shave them down and it turns into almost like a suede, right? Like it's very, very soft. So it'd be like a, a different sort of flocking, like beaver flocking, <laughs> I guess. Uh, but, you know, it's just something I've always wanted to try. I haven't quite figured out how to do it yet or how to work it in. Um, but, you know, it's, it's something I want to try at some point. So, you know, Arctic Fox, Otter, I have a, a black bear here, you know, so just somehow, some way, I got to figure out how to incorporate these guys into a project, because uh, I think it'd be super interesting. Okay. So have you guys ever wanted to incorporate animals into a project? <laughs> well, I've, uh, to kind of piggyback what you had said, I've... Uh... I've used leather on several of my projects where uh, more as accents or maybe like a clasp or a closure on something. Um, thought it'd be fun to do like an inlay piece, like whether it's a desk or something like that, or a little writing box that had a leather, um, leather surface on it. Um, but I've also wondered, and this goes back to, I don't remember it was like that hand tools book by Garrett Hack from oh so long ago um, in using horn or antler as like the wear surface on a uh, wood, wood bodied spoke shave. Oh, sure. Like yeah. That. That makes so sense. that you would be ahead of the blade, you know, that creates something that's a little harder wearing than just straight up wood or whatever the body is made out of that you could replace it that way. But yeah, you're right. Going with antler or horn can really very easily dive into mountain or rustic styles of furniture that done poorly look super tacky with, you know, like some kind of weird antler door pull or. Yeah. And, and that's definitely, you know, and you guys know me pretty well. I'm very much a uh, doorsman and, you know, chasing anything outside. I just love being outside. Uh, and I don't care for that style of furniture. Like I would never, I would never want to have a um, a piece of furniture in my house that has an antler pole on it. It looks like an antler pole. You know, if it's like a carved, like if you take that item, whether it's a bone or or antler or horn, and you throw it on a lathe and turn it, and it sure. looks cool. I, I just don't like the rustic because I think you're right. Done poorly, it it looks poor. Um, yeah. So. And I think that's how I would probably do it because I've used brass and aluminum on things as well. Um, trying to think, what did I do just recently that I. Well, you know, I make my I've in, I enjoy making woodworking tools, you know, mm -hmm. and I did that my shoulder plane here. Where it's a brass body on mm -hmm. the shoulder plane. So that's kind of a natural fit for something like that. But like even on the TV show a couple of years ago, we you took a, a picture frame that we did 
in the magazine where it was uh, different tones of wood and you went with um, walnut and aluminum and then the aluminum ended up working the same way as, a, as the wood inlay did. And yeah, like John said, you... those are real easy because you could, you know, it's not like you have a lot of specialty tools in order to use it. Yeah, and I think there's there's certain combinations like that that work really well together. I think walnut works really well with aluminum, um, personally. You know, yeah. uh, I did that picture frame a couple of years ago. Uh, last season, two seasons ago, I did the, the candle tower oh. with mm-hmm. the walnut and aluminum grid on the front of the window, you know? Right. Um, so I think there's there's applications like that, that those color combinations, I uh, personally, them together. Um, there's... You know, that's a completely aesthetic choice. Some people probably would hate it, which is fine. And, you know, I like it. So, yeah. And I think, uh, you know, something that I've wondered about, especially, you know, we had uh, Matt Kenny on a few weeks ago. And Mm -hmm. with his Kumiko panels, a lot of time, and then some of his boxes that he's kind of known for, he's incorporated uh, patterned paper, decorative paper, either as box linings or just the box bottom even or a backing for kumiko and you know i think uh dylan did a lamp a few years ago that had a like a rice paper Mm -hmm. shade incorporated into it and i think that would be kind of fun to incorporate more i mean it's a natural product to begin with but to use papers like that earn more color yeah well you know i think one of the cool things about something like that and you know, you said Matt uses paper and in the inside of his boxes and, and Dylan did that lamp and stuff. Um, those papers get very, very cool. They're hand laid. You know what I mean? Uh, I had a I had a client in a previous life. I managed a print shop and I had a client that was trying to get us to make um, binders out of hand laid like Japanese paper. And I was like, well, send me some samples and I'll see if it'll work. And they're like, well, we can send them, but they're $24 a sheet because it's like hand laid over screens and they have like dried pressed flowers on them, you know, and then they're hand squeezed and stuff. And to me, that's super cool. Like that's the perfect thing to incorporate in a project like this. You know, you're blending two crafts from two different people. You know, I just, I love that marriage there. So yeah, I think that would work really well. Yeah, because I think it's a, you know, I don't know. I, it's really easy to default into kind of your standard, you know, you have a frame and panel door or something, then you just go with glass or plexiglass or something like that. And then, but being able to switch that up and then turn the panel into a focal point mm-hmm. um, with something that's a little bit unique, but still, you know, plays really well with it. It's not real jarring. So, I mean, you can do that. You have a, with your interest in turning then, I mean, you can turn all kinds of weird stuff then too, right? Oh yeah. And well, and that's, I was trying to uh, avoid going into turning because I'd like to talk about turning a lot. And that's one thing that guys do. I mean, this, I've been for a long time, I've wanted to do some article and some work with, with resin casting, right? The, the stuff that guys resin cast into like an acrylic resin is insane. Like, I mean, you got your standard, like, you know, nine millimeter shell casings for the gun enthusiast or, you know, they'll they'll resin cast pine cones and it gives a cool like scale looking pattern when you turn it. Uh, But then 
you've got guys that are resin casting, you know, horse manure. And I mean, just, just weird stuff. And, and it's, it's very odd. Uh, but I mean, anything you can get small enough to put into a mold, you can resin cast, which is, is very weird. Um, but yeah, you can mess with a bunch of different stuff. Uh, one of the things that John has another joke, I can see it on his face. <laughs> it's just that of all the examples of things that you could think of, you had to go with the horse manure one. Well, it was like one of the weirdest things I've seen. I mean, it, yeah, it would be, a, it would be, it would be kind of crappy to turn it, you know, but. <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> I like, I don't would corn be a problem? <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, well, but no, I mean, one of the things that I actually had saved in our, our shop to turn uh we i think we did we pull it out of we either pulled it out of an office of somebody that wasn't there anymore or prop room or something we had a bowling ball and and oh, Becky yeah. kind of stole it to prop a or maybe dylan had stolen it to prop a project with uh but it's like hey i i took that because i wanted to put it on the lathe and see what happens you know so yeah i mean there's cool stuff like that you can mess around with um that's kind of fun like am i gonna Am I going to turn a bowling ball and submit it to an art gallery to display and sell? No, probably not. You know, same thing with, you know, turning a, a lidded box and then putting a, a fluffy Arctic fox finial on it. Like, probably not going to, it's probably not going to work. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's fun stuff. You, you never, you never break new ground not trying new stuff. So, you know, just kind of kind of interesting i mean woodworking doesn't only have to include wood yeah you know i i did a made a table a small dining table for my sister-in-law and she has a house that has and has some furniture in the mid-century modern style and i wanted to incorporate design elements of mid-century modern without being too crazy and one of the things that uh I haven't been able to do yet, but I still want to is make a table like that, but do a, a cork inlay or surface on it, but have it, you know, not like bulletin board cork, but, you know, like some of the cork flooring options that are available that, you know, it's natural cork. So it has a, a patterned look to it, almost like a burl. Sure. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny cause I think that'd be kind of cool. Um, my wife and I happened to be watching a video of a cork tree getting stripped the other day because cork is one of the only trees that you can harvest bark from without killing the tree. And that's where right. cork comes from. That'd be cool if you could get a, like a sheet of cork bark and just do that. You know what I mean? That'd be, that'd be kind of cool. Just be able to lay that oh, yeah. on the table and, and lay it. That'd be, that'd be kind of neat. Kind of blend yeah. the, the clean century modern with a natural element. That'd be, that'd be pretty Cool, I think. Yeah, I have a, uh, and where I saw the idea from was a book about Sam Maloof, who, mm. I mean, most people just know him for his crazy rocking chairs or whatever, but he did quite a bit of other furniture too, especially early on. And he had a whole series of tables that, you know, whether they was a, a coffee table or occasional table or something like that and had cork surfaces on it you know it was wrapped in hardwood or whatever but it was 
using cork on the inside. He even did a dining table. Uh, it was a round dining table. And then, you know, like where you have your plate was part of the surface. But then just in from that was a lazy Susan that took up the whole center portion of the table. So, you know, so it was like, say it was like a 48 inch table diameter and, you know, you go in about a foot and then that whole middle section was just all lazy Susan. And that was all cork and it looked really cool. And I just thought that would be, it would be fun to be able to incorporate that in there. Yeah. John is your favorite non-wood material pegboard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Only natural pegboard though. Natural okay. Current pegboard. Fair trade pegboard. I'm trying to think of other materials that I would like to work in. I mean, the metals are easy. You know, Chris Fitch did a, a box where we did a metal inlay on it, you know, using mm -hmm. different, different metals, you know, copper or brass or something like that, that would show off different colors of material, which I always thought was kind of cool. Yeah. You know, I think I would really like to, to experiment with, um, that is not animal based. <laughs> is uh some ceramic you know what i mean oh. like incorporating some ceramic into something uh whether that's um like again i i don't want to keep going back to the inlay but maybe like ceramic poles or something like that uh because you guys may not know but i'm i love hand-thrown ceramic stuff like i can't walk through an antique store and not stop and look at something that's hand-thrown um my favorite coffee mug that i use all the time is is hand-thrown uh it's just it's fascinating to me and there's a there's a large uh, parallelism there with wood turning and throwing ceramic on a wheel uh, so i think it'd be kind of cool to maybe make some knobs or poles or something out of ceramic um or uh you know along the same lines of your uh your cork tabletop you know maybe do like a textured ceramic would be kind of cool mm, that would be kind of cool I have a I have a friend of mine who works in the water department for the city of Austin, Texas, and he had a, a coffee table made where the center part of it was a, a manhole cover that it was. Be cool. Yeah, you know, just kind of the found object kind of aspect of adding a non wood material in there too. Hey, just a reminder, this episode of the Shop Notes podcast is brought to you by Inventables. They're the maker of the new X-Carve Pro CNC machine, which has a much bigger capacity than some of their other tools. Uh, you can check it out at xcarvepro.com. Inventables is also the home for quite a bit of the equipment and tooling and materials that you can use with not only CNCs, but 3D printers and a lot of the other digital fabrication tools that are out there. It's really a fun place, fun site to take a look at. And if you're at all interested in CNCs, it's a great, great way to get started. So again, check them out at Inventables at xcarfpro.com. I bet you can throw some non-wood materials into uh, an X-Carve. Oh yeah, you can. It's pretty fun. What's funny to me is for uh, well, I mean, it's like Chris with his uh, CNC work, you know, working on those tools that are that have aluminum in them and 
uh, acrylics where we've done that, being able to engrave those or shape those would be pretty cool. Yeah. I've wanted to do some turning and I've, I'm going down to turn uh, Jimmy clues again in, in January. And I've asked him about doing some cast rims on stuff like metal cast rims, like a pewter casting or something. I bet you, you could probably do like a, like a lost wax casting of like a, a rim on a bowl. You know what I mean? Like I'm going to go super nerdy here and do like the Lord of the Rings ring script around it. There you cast go. It, put it in a bowl. It'd be one bowl to roll them all. Mm-hmm. All right. I was thinking that you were going to talk about rims and you were going to cast and then turn your own rims for your car. That would be no negative. <laughs> <laughs> Although our new Rikon lathe would potentially turn a rim from a truck. Same. Or a steering wheel. Oh, ooh. Mm-hmm. probably need to keep that airbag though. Yeah. I could probably do a steering wheel cover. There you, like, go. there you go. Turn it, split it. There we go. Stick it on. Yeah. Yep. And that one of the guys on fine woodworking a few years ago did, uh, did a bent lamination, uh, wood handlebar for a mountain bike, which I <laughs> thought was kind of cool. Until you fall on it and it splinters and stabs you through your chest. Buffy the Vampire style. <laughs> Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> All right. All right. Keeps the first... on your bike. Yeah. Right. Oh, they didn't like the... For a mention there. Yeah. They didn't like, they didn't like the Fords, like early Fords. I, I'm not going to pretend to know vintage cars at all and then they have wooden steering wheels like like kind of a laminated wood steering wheel like i seem to oh, recall yeah, there's it. a lot of old cars that did i remember going to quite yeah. a few car shows with my dad that incorporated that yeah one of uh my my previous employer the employer the owner he did uh him and the vice president of the company did the peking to paris race they had a ford model a or model t or something and it had a wood steering wheel it was pretty cool so they, they shipped it across to China and went from Peking to Paris over like a couple week span. Mm-hmm. I'd imagine. Yeah. See, now John's incorporated non wood materials in the playset that is currently behind yeah. him, too. So, yeah. Are they black pipe? Uh, galvanized pipe. Don't like, Don't like the black handprints all over? Yeah. Well, I mean, I still get those, but. Oh, that's, yeah. It's just dirt at that point. <laughs> it's just dirt and grime. Standard kid grime. Yeah. It's all three feet and below for most most of the house, though. <laughs> so. uh, it's almost worse when you notice it. Yeah. Like, it's better if you just don't know it's there. Right. So along the lines of weird, non-traditional materials in projects do you guys have any non i don't want to say non-traditional tools but weird tools you guys like to use in the shop we may have touched on this at one point but again cleaning my shop i rediscovered a uh, a horde of tools that i enjoy oh yeah well you might as well start then because i have to think about what i have here that i can that i can use using a traditional tool for a non-traditional purpose like Oh yeah. To open a paint can. 
Does that count? No, no. not that. Uh, the concept, yes. That particular application, no. Like this is the best hammer you'll ever have when yeah, it's right. the only hammer you'll ever have. You know what right. I mean? Well, I, there was that link that I sent you where somebody made one an adjustable wrench like that and have a cast hammerhead on the end. Yeah, which it's like one tool to rule them all. Right. I you thought know. that was that tool is used to uh, round X head nuts. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, this one is for that. Yeah, this one is in particular because this came in like a lot of tools, so I threw it in the dapper rust, but the mechanisms all rusted together. Like I can't it, this adjustable wrench is no longer adjustable. Yeah. Maybe one you side. have to, you got to do uh, like electrolysis on it or something. Probably to get into the on it and stuff. So my, I don't, I want to call this a non-traditional tool, uh, but one of the tools that from days gone by that I thoroughly enjoy using, and I will pick them up if I can ever find them in, in good shape, which I do quite often because I don't think they ever really caught on that much, maybe for a reason. Uh, is one of these guys. Uh, so this is the extendo ruler, right? I don't know what they're actually called. A folding rule, I mean, is what I would call it. This one happens to be a Lufkin X46, uh, which is trademarked according to this. Uh, but I use these stupid extending rulers all the time. For Do two you really? Yes, all the freaking time. For two reasons, okay? First reason being, now three reasons. First reason being, I like the nostalgia of it, okay? Second, I never know where a tape measure is. I know where this is. Third, I like to be able to just take this and like, I mean, this is only 72 inches long, right? But I like to be able to just take this and I can lay it down on a board and go end to end and kind of pace out measurements. And I use this, I don't use this for finish cuts, right? Like I won't, I won't set my, table saw pens with this but i'll use this thing on rough stock to lay out parts roughly when i just need to get within a quarter of an inch on a cut uh, and then i'll fine tune it in the shop uh, yeah i use this stupid thing all the time um and i also have a couple other back here behind me that i use uh, well much. these are more of like just kind of collector ones these other hard wood rules so different different folding rules um you know boxwood and beach and actually speaking of non-traditional tools i have found a couple of these guys that were made out of bone which was kind of cool oh uh, wow yeah i think they're made out of like cow femur bone um but you know i i don't use these these like quad folding ones or tri-folding ones very often um but you know, I I love this stupid guy. Uh, yeah. I always know where it's at. Always uses it. Which Does is funny. Does yours have the metal extending like? Metal? Yeah. Yeah, those are good uh, for holes and according, stuff. According to this, it is the red end extension. Oh. Oh, yep. See, I have one too, and I use that for home improvement projects because I, I don't know, I've come to not like measuring tapes just because of their being too flexible or tough to get a mark on an edge or I don't know. Which, so I'll yeah. use 
I'll use that. I always call them the flippy floppy rules for the home improvement projects. But I have one of the, I think this one's a boxwood. Yeah. Know, Lufkin. I don't know what model is this one. 651. And I use this as my, as a two foot rule. And because I've just, I've found really that uh, I love having rigid either steel or this wood rule is just really handy for all the measuring that I do in the shop. And if I'm using just one rule um, all the way, then I don't have to worry about whether an inch on my tape measure is the same as an inch on my six inch square or whatever, you know, I can kind of go through it all. And I, you know, most of the time, once you break down a piece to its final size, you don't need something really long anyway. You know, you're only working, you know, most of the time, less than two feet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is, it's, it's funny you say that. Mine happens to be a Lufkin number 385. I don't know what the differences are. I'm sure there is a Lufkin yeah. collector somewhere that can tell us. Um, yeah, this one is boxwood. Uh, it's funny that you say, you know, worrying about an inch being the same on your six inch rule as it is a tape measure. But if you ever compare them, they can be off. And oh, it yeah. may not be at that inch mark. It may be at the 30 inch mark where there'll be a difference. And sure. it might not be much, but it'll be enough that it will add up, you know? So, yeah. And I think where that, where it ended up starting with is that the table saw that I had, the, ruler or the scale on the rip fence just wasn't set right. And even I, even when I tried to recalibrate it, that saw that rip fence never always ended up square. So I ended up having to measure from the blade anyway. So I just started ignoring the scale on the rip fence rails and then just using a metal ruler. And then I think I always ended up doing that at work too in the shop because, mm -hmm. you know, you have it set up for, you know, going off the scale, but that was with a standard blade and somebody put a thin kerf blade and now it's not quite right. So. Yep. Yeah. You know, I, uh, that's something I had noticed. I, and I didn't think about, and I know it, I, I know that you put a thin kerf blade in the, the gauge is going to be off, but I set my uh, my table saw up here and here, my saw stop, and I set it up with the, the blade that came with it, and then I was like, yeah, all right, time to get rid of this. I mean, you spend $3,000 on the saw stop table saw, you figure the blade would be decent. It's kind of crappy, right? So I put my woodworker 2 in there, which happens to be a thin kerf, and all of a sudden I'm like, why is everything off just a hair? <laughs> That's why. <laughs> so I, I adjusted it, the the little slider, you can adjust, you know, like an eighth inch each way. But it's like, God dang it. I knew that. I knew it. And I just. Yeah. Or even when you put a dado blade in, you know, now your scale oh, yeah. is off. So. So I have a couple of tools that I found here that are a little non-standard. Um, the first one is, you know, we've talked about using. Uh, drafting plastic drafting squares for setting angles and things like that. And this I saw, man, I think it was an old pop wood issue or blog post by Bob Lang. And he took a, the 12 inch one, but then he added a wood fence to it. So that it turned it into a kind of a giant speed square. And 
and I don't use this all the time, but sometimes when I'm, you know, like for cutting boards that I bring home from the lumber yard, you know, you want to just cut them to length and I'll use this to mark the line across based off of their, you know, the straight line ripped edge mm -hmm. or something like that. And then the other one, um, this one came as an idea from, uh, I think it was uh, Mark Adams. Uh, when he was in Des Moines a years and years ago doing a presentation for the Des Moines Woodworkers on veneer, and he used a, a straight edge that was made from Corian, mm -hmm. which I thought was kind of a genius idea because, you know, being a synthetic product, it's super stable. The edge is always going to stay straight. Um, if you need to work it, you can do it with uh, woodworking tools. Um, and then I had a friend of mine that worked in a countertop fabrication company and they had you know you can just take an off cut of the corian and straight line run it and then so i've used that as a straight edge for my router or using as a utility knife for cutting veneer or leather or whatever so nice yeah so now that we made john go inside so he had a better signal yeah he doesn't have any of his tools i know <laughs> and you can't say child labor as your favorite non-traditional woodworking tool. I got some color, some crayons here and colored pencils on the desk. But um, I was thinking about my chisel comment earlier. We've talked about in the past uh, putting, taking an old chisel, dull chisel, putting a burr on it, using it as a scraper. I always mm -hmm. find that handy to get into small, tight areas. Use as a scraper, and that works pretty well. So. It's already dull from opening the paint can, so. <laughs> I, so I thought you was going a different direction. You were going to say what I like to use as a paint can opener is actually the paint can openers they give you at the store. Oh, that's what oh. those are for? Oh, yeah. snap. <laughs> you know, it's funny. So I had a bunch of them that I got when my great-grandpa passed away. Uh, or no, actually, we moved him out of his house into an, into a, an assisted living, so I got to go through his garage. And I, that's one thing I grabbed. He had like a little pegboard rack, absolutely chock full of paint can openers. And I just grabbed the entire sleeve off of it. And I was like, this is awesome. Why don't, you know, when you go to Menards or Lowe's or Home Depot, they don't give those to you anymore, right? But I found that uh, Ace Hardware does. So now every time I need to get paint, I go to like Ace or True Value and get hardware or get paint. Because they give me a stupid paint can opener, which is yeah. great. Then I don't have to run my chisels. Yeah. It seems like we have a bunch of those, but I can never find them for some reason. <laughs> well, we had one in like the in the paint room at the magazine shop. Yeah. And I was looking for it the other day. I'm like, where the beep is this thing? Like I couldn't find it. And it was out in the photo studio because I think somebody was trying to open paint out there. Mm. Wasn't me, probably. No, we used to have a bunch of them in the finish yeah, room. Dana twisted the home. Dana twisted the handle and hung them on all the door knobs or on the door yep. pulls. She put a chain on it or something. Right. Yeah. Bolt it down. Yep. So put a chain on it. Put a tire rim around the chain or something. <laughs> Bowling ball. <laughs> Just oh, got to no. go to a bank and steal the chain. Yeah. Yep. So the other tool, know. other tool that I found was. Uh, uh, my daughter's been doing some carving in the shop here and wanted to do some texturing of backgrounds. 
So I saw on, online somewhere of just taking old carriage, or not old carriage bolts, but taking carriage bolts and then using a file to mm, create a different pattern on the end. So we have kind of like a star-shaped one there and just a straight-up punch. Or this one, I held it vertically in a vise and drilled out a little bit and then beveled the edge so that it creates kind of a circle punch on it. And then I did one as almost like an asterisk. So yeah, you could see oh, some God. of the samples. Yeah. I say so, I, uh, I did a carving class with, uh, Al Breed, uh, at Mark Adams school. And we did that with, uh, I don't know if you can see that or not with just like square cut nails, same thing. Uh, you oh, get yeah. that, that, that like triangle thing and you use it as a background, like stipple. Sure. Uh, which is, is kind of, it works really well, you know, and, uh, I think there we, we ground the heads on them instead of, uh, instead of the, like the tips, you grind the head, oh, uh, like you did the, the end of the carriage bolt. Uh, and unfortunately one of the guys there was using his blue spruce mallet, hitting the tip of the nail. And all of a sudden he's like, oh no, and looked at it and destroyed his mallet, which was a little sad, but you know, I do have one other thing that I had thought about doing for our video edition, because this is something I love using and you don't see him anymore. My egg beater drill. Sure. Like I always have one of these. Uh, it's somewhere, it's under, it's under there. But anyways, I always have um, my nicer, smaller one equipped with like a little like, it's not an eighth inch, it's in between an eighth and a 16th inch um, drill bit for pre-drilling like screw holes. Because sure. with this thing, I mean, you can whip a hole so quickly. And I don't have to go get my drill. It's always there. It's always next to the bench, ready to go. I can pre-drill it. I don't see many people using these anymore. Even in like, even like in the unplugged groups, part of a lot of hand tool groups on Facebook stuff. I don't see many people using these guys, and I don't know why, um, because they work so well. Yeah. Uh, granted, you can do the same thing with a like a birdcage all, uh, but uh, these things work so well. It's just like use it. Come on. Yeah, I have one that I use for drilling pilot holes, and I put I keep one I keep a combination bit for that, you know, where it does the pilot hole plus the countersink, and it works really well. I found for that. So yeah, I could probably it's the bigger Miller Falls one. It looks like um, I could probably do that with this one. Give you a little more torque than my little one, you know. Yeah, yeah, and the one torque. that I have is relatively small, but I. And it works fine. And it works just fine, yeah. For you know, number six or number eight screws, I'll yeah. use that all the time. So that's really awesome. Handy. Because you know what's dumb is switching back and forth between the the pre-drill bit and a driving bit, right? <laughs> because all your batteries are dead, so you can't use the impact <laughs> and the, the <laughs> <at any> time. <laughs> uh, I was doing that the other day. I have like one good battery between my uh, drill and driver, and I was just switching back and forth between the two. Like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
lazy woodworking. Yeah. Yep. It's actually, I have that problem because I bring all my cordless tools up into the garage. Oh. So it's like, I almost need two sets of batteries, one for the garage, one for down here. Yeah. Or two chargers. Yeah. Or I should do what my wife says and just put it back when I'm done. Mm, sounds like a lot of work. Yeah. And yeah, most of that lazy woodworking actually is like a lot more work than. <laughs> <laughs> it's like every time I find a dull bit, drill bit, or router bit, I'll just throw it back where I found it rather than throwing it away. Yeah. <laughs> just find it again later. And like... that, like, that's every router bit in the shop, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah, or all of our twist bits on the TV show set. That are, yeah, you know, yeah. At some point, Drill Doctor will sponsor us, and they'll send us one, mm -hmm. and we can sharpen all of them. Right. So we used to we have just, a Drill Doctor. Yeah, I don't know if I've seen a couple of them. So, so or if you're a super awesome, I know a lot of old machinists. They just sharpen them by hand on a bench grinder. I'm not that good. Right. Well, there's some bench grinders that have the tool rest. I don't know what is it grooved or whatever to hold a twist bit at the right angle. Yeah, Vince had a his delta grinder had like an actual attachment that went on it for oh, sharpening. Yeah. That's if I remember right. I'd have to go back and look at his video. But I'm pretty sure it did. I was like, that's super cool. Like, it's awesome. Maybe I should just try it once just to see. It's probably one of those things where it's not that difficult to do. I tried it on making one of those miter planes. Yeah. I needed a, I don't remember if I was making the, like, it had to have been, like, making the holes for the bridge. Oh, no, 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 it was making the irons. So I was trying to drill through the 01 tool steel. Oh, okay. And I was using, um, like, like framing nails as the pins to hold oh. them together. So it's like, it was, I mean, it was a stupid size. I had one drill bit you know, that was the right size and it was just would not get through it. So I tried sharpening it. It went from like a four and a half inch long bit down to like a three inch bit. By the time I finally got it to where it's trying different <laughs> angles and everything. It's just, I threw the entire stupid bit. It's like, God, this sucks. I should just watch a YouTube video or buy a new bit. There you, because that's probably that. Yeah. That $3 master force bit wasn't worth it. All right, so what are you guys working on this week? Uh, I'm working on getting rid of piles in my shop. It's pretty satisfying. Got that bookcase done. And it's like, hey, let's keep this momentum going here. And I found a pile of parts to a um, like a shop organization shelf or cleanup center or whatever. It's for our craft paper and some of our finishing stuff and rags and whatever and i actually realized i started on it or last worked on it december 2018 so hmm. that's pretty exciting it was nice and aged it moved <laughs> and, but it was taking up a lot of space on one of my uh work surfaces so picked that back up and got it assembled and hopefully we'll have it done in in the in the shop here and a week or two so that's, nice so try to find some of those piles of stuff that have kind of sat for a while and get those together and so but then i started another pile where uh we talked last week about building a desk oh yeah donate so i have 
that pile of stuff that's like I got to keep on that before it sits too long and <laughs> and it's summer break. Yeah, exactly. So I'm still doing my shop cleanup. Um, I spent this last weekend out camping with the family. I figured I've been out milling so much that I needed to spend some time with them. So we went out camping. So I'm still in the middle of my shop cleanup. I got my, so you guys probably don't notice, but these two tool cabinets that are usually behind me are now on, this is a different wall than normal. So this is, I actually used to have a TV hanging here, uh, which was dumb. It's like, I'm going to hang the TV there. Because who doesn't like a little background noise when they're in there? Like, who doesn't like to woodwork with the woodsmith shop? Come on. Right. I don't. <laughs> it's, it's actually that I just never turned it on. I mean, so it was like, that's dumb. I, I don't need that TV hanging there. So uh, I moved these two cabinets over. My bench vice stand is, I'll turn my camera so you guys can see it. It's there. All right. It has a vice on it. It's mounted to the wall. Um, little did I know that Wilton vice doesn't sit very nicely on it. Um, the mounting holes just end up in a, in the wrong spot. So I'm gonna have to add some blocking to the front of it uh, to beef it up a little bit. Uh, but what this is, what this, the whole point of this shop rearrangement was to kind of open my shop up a little bit and get the flow a little bit better. Like it was very congested when you'd walk into the shop. So like carrying a big um, case piece, like if I if I was working on something at work and would bring it home, which is I'd be smashing into everything. You know, I'd run into the table saw, the drill press, my outfeed table before I even got to my bench. So I'm trying to uncongest it a little bit. So I've moved my drill press. Um, the bench vice stand is there. I'm going to build it. I have parts for a second one to put a grinder on and then i'm going to do like a work surface in between them that i will mount my um, bench grinder so the other stand will be for a buffer buffer wire wheel combo and then i have my i have like one of the rikon tormek style grinders and then oh, i have yeah. a rikon slow speed grinder and i'll mount those in between them on the bench yeah. um so i think it's just going to open up my entire shop a little bit which will be really nice um and I do have a bookcase in here also that I have stored all like uh, when we when we consolidated our library at work, I took a lot of the old um, fine woodworking magazines and stuff that we just didn't really need anymore. Uh, right. I hate to see them thrown away. So I took a lot of them um, and they're on a book shelf in here. I'm actually going to, I think, move that into the back room to store those back there. And I need to come up with some form of lumber storage for inside my shop. Um, which I came across like an old shop notes. They're basically bins that like stack on the floor. They're like tiered bins. It's, it's actually the ones we have in the photo studio, I believe. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. um, that I think will work pretty well in that, in that corner. So still working nice. on the shop, stop shop rearrangement. Um, it's kind of a rearrangement slash purge, get rid of some stuff I don't really need anymore. So yeah, somehow when I moved all my hand planes, they like multiplied. Like I, I got the <laughs> shelves back on the wall and I started putting the planes back on and I'm like, how did they don't fit anymore? They fit fine over there. And now back here, they don't fit. So it's like, I ended up with a bunch of planes that don't have a home. So either I need to get a different shelf or figure out something. Yeah. So you got to keep the male and female planes separated. Oh yeah. That's probably what it was. Yeah. 
system. Yeah, those rabbit planes. They multiply. Yeah. <laughs> oh. oh. So I do have a I do have a storage shelf in the back room of like my for sale planes that I could probably go shove some on. So yep. there you go. Do you start more projects, Phil? Uh yes and no. Uh, one of them is that when I found that when it gets to be towards the end of an issue or whenever we have a deadline and I start to feel a little anxious about stuff, I realize that one of the causes of my increased work stress or anxiety is based on uh, I get so focused on that deadline that I stop going out into my workshop and I'm really a better human being when I have shop time. So I've been trying to be more deliberate on, you know, like over my lunch hour coming out to my workshop here and working on something. So whether it's my Christmas present or uh, I've seen a couple of references to it recently uh, about uh, resawing by hand. Mm -hmm. And I had gotten a few years ago this ripsaw. So for those of you watching on YouTube, it's an old hand ripsaw. And it had kind of a cruddy broken handle on it. So I made a walnut handle for it. I don't know, last year maybe, I guess. And hey, that cruddy broken handle was very nice when I gave that to you. Right. <laughs> anyway, but the saw itself while it could cut wood, wasn't super sharp. And most of my vintage hand saws could stand to be sharpened, but I just don't know that I, I've read all the articles and I've tried it a few times and it just didn't seem like it created a sharp edge or a sharp tooth line that I was looking for. But I thought with the rip saw, you know, you're just filing straight across the teeth are pretty large because this one is, uh, I think I measured it, it's like five teeth per inch. So it's pretty coarse. And I thought, you know, I really can't go wrong on it because it's not like I use this one all the time, this saw. So I gave that a whirl over one of my lunch hours yesterday, I think, and tried it out on some pine that I had and was pretty impressed with how well it worked. So that was, that was my project is getting some of my tools back into shape or into shape that they're usable so because i have some sections of pine log that i think i got from chris that i want to cut up and use and use for smaller smaller projects and the mm -hmm. logs are too, too big for my band saw and right now none of them really have a reference surface to work from so God, if only you knew somebody with a sawmill yeah, but see, I just feel like it's overkill to bring you like a two-foot section with yeah, one cuts. <laughs> yeah, with one nail is that you like yeah. one nail going all the way through it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, and it just you know, I, like I said, I've seen it in a few places of people doing it by hand, and it just was something I thought, you know, I'd give that a shot. I like doing stuff by hand. Yeah. Awesome. So. Do you have a preference on rip saw style? Because mine, uh, the one that I like, so I have, I have one that has a similar, like that, I think that saw was one that you got from me, right? Was that the, I think so, the, yeah. the big wide one? Yeah. yeah. Um, that was like a traditional saw handle, right? Yeah. I am partial to the thumb holes, like this guy. Yeah. Um, have you, do you have a preference on them? I, you're uh, a lefty, so they. I'm a left-handed one, so there's 
very few times where I find, I don't think I have ever seen a left-handed thumb hole. Bad axe, are you listening? <laughs> Let's make this they happen, Mark. They will make one. They will make one, yes. I, I've also thought about sending my hand saws up to bad, bad axe to get them sharpened and tuned up. So, Or taking a class with them, too. But That'd be fun. Yeah. He's all the way up in Duluth now, so that's... It's a beautiful drive, though. Well, Duluth or Superior, one of the, the twin so cities, you, I guess. But yeah, you you get to Duluth, it's pretty. I guess the drive up there. Is oh yeah, bad. no, it's pretty up there. Oh. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that wraps it up for another episode of the Shop Notes podcast. Just a reminder: today's episode is brought to you by Inventables, a new CNC solution for your business. Make bigger projects faster with the XCar Pro. See it at xcarpro.com. All right, we'll see you again next week. Bye.